Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Doug Laney, the Data and Analytics Strategy Innovation Fellow with the Digital Services Consultancy, West Monroe. In today's episode, I'm joined by Misha Kapuscheski, CEO at GeneStack and Vivek Iyer, team lead from the Welcome Sanger Institute. And we're going to be talking about why data management is the key to success in life sciences. So first question, a bit of a bit of a softball, but we could go deep on this, which is what, what is good data management to you? I think um, maybe we start with, you know, what is data management? Uh, and then we can sort of deal with what is good data management. And uh, when we think about data management, it's basically everything that encompasses the life cycle of data from thinking about how you're going to produce it, producing it, making use of it, and then it's end of life process, you know, whether it is archival or uh, disposal. And throughout this process within an organization, multiple people have an impact on it and multiple people touch the data. And uh, Unlike in the past, today, data is a highly valuable asset. So when we talk about good data management, uh, fundamentally, it's about uh, making sure that you increase ROI while making these touch points between people who want to do useful things and the data as frictionless as possible. So what are some things that are worth highlighting when we talk both generally about good data management and good data management in life sciences? So generally, it's about accessing data and being able to know where your data is, no matter who produced it and when. Uh, this is particularly important uh, as organizations grow in uh, size and complexity. For example, when people leave, what happens to the data? Where can you find it? Is it well organized and annotated? When we talk about life sciences specifically, we often tend to think about different levels of data that we use. We might be talking about sample or patient level data, but we might also be talking about you know, data that is within a patient, for example, the genetic mutations or their measurements that they will have had from a, a doctor's visit or you know, something, a, a large scale proteomic assay obtained from a you know, blood sample. So when we talk about search data, you need to be able to search both this high level um, general information, but you need to be able to dig down into these experimental data. So connecting phenotypic and other experimental data types is important. Given the disparity of types of data in life sciences, is it possible to come up with a, a consistent um, way to, to search data? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll answer quickly and then pass over to uh, Vivek. Uh, I think there is no universal uh, way to connect and model things. So you need a system that will flex, that will allow you to define different data models for different modalities in different use cases. Vivek, what's your, what's your view? Yeah, I think that that's, that's a really good summary of what constitutes data management and sort of where, where people are sort of aiming for. Um, I, I would uh, possibly, I can elaborate on a, on a couple of points and, and definitely address that sort of universality of search, if you like. Um, what we try and do, and, and it's the ongoing challenge with data management and you know, what, the, the, what we're trying to do, and we're trying to be good, right, is to understand, firstly, 
the different kinds of data. I mean, you need to sort of have some sort of a, a shallow but a somewhat comprehensive idea of the different kinds of data in your scope, right? So, you know, because it's easy, too easy to get led astray and, and you know, the scope can creep and things can, can become unrealistic. Unre- but within any particular kind of data, there's a stream. I mean, we describe it as a life cycle, but it's actually a bit more linear than that, right? It's not, it's not really a cycle. Um, you need to have an in-depth understanding about the stages within that stream. You know, and as Misha has, uh, has already mentioned, there'll be an initiation, there'll be an active sort of project uh, running and a wind down and an archive. But within that, any particular stage of that life cycle, what we're trying to get be very clear on and detailed on is the kinds of descriptive, I mean, the metadata that needs to be stored alongside the actual data. So that's what I think of as you know, good data management is an understanding of both the breadth of the data you're trying to handle, but some sort of you know, a detailed understanding, a clarity on what you're trying to, how you're trying to describe the data at any particular stage of a stream. Um, I think that the searching point is a really good one. There are two aspects to that you're getting at, and I think Misha touched on both of them. It's very difficult to... I would say it's impossible to get universal models. That's a sort of a quixotic uh, thing. Uh, but you know, even within within a department or an institute, you know, a universal model is something that people have tried, and they always sort of tilt at the windmill and fail. I think that um, better is to be flexible. That's true. But you're always balancing. Too flexible means that um, searching becomes basically difficult for a different reason, right? So, so you know, you want to build your search tool to actually deal with flexible models. That's true, but too much flexibility has a, has, a, has a problem on the other end. So you mentioned um, you understanding what data you have, and to me, that smacks of uh, like inventory management. So perhaps we should be applying uh, classic inventory uh, asset management principles and practices to our data as well. I think to 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 some extent, Doug, exactly. That's exactly what we should be doing, and uh, that's why uh, so many. Uh, organizations start with let's have a data catalog, right? And uh, let's look at what the you know the governance of the data is. Uh, can we you know think about data from the point of view of its value and its impact? So you're right; it is a bit like um, uh, inventory management, but when it is translated to um, you know the life sciences context, uh, this evolves, and then you need to you know, uh, apply different kinds of metrics. Uh, you are in a, you know, a different regulatory environment. The speed with which you generate certain kinds of data and, you know, their utilization time may be different. Often you need to go back to data that you've already used. So uh, while it has this linear, you know, lifespan, uh, sometimes you see that certain kinds of data get resurrected, get reused. So there are some differences, but fundamentally, absolutely, you're right. Uh, and a lot of the Inventory, like mindset, is uh, while very familiar to other industries in in life sciences and in research, uh, feels new. Yeah. Well, let's. So we've defined, you know, data management and good data management. Uh, I guess we we all need a business case for data management, right? So a lot of business cases start with challenges. So why is bad data management such a big problem for companies? And again, particularly in life sciences. I can tell you why for us. Look, what we're trying to achieve is what everybody's trying to achieve. And it's not sort of a surprise these days. We want our data to be, you know, findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. And that's kind of almost a mantra that people actually uh, speak out. Um, I think that we are beset with challenges to that goal, um, typically turnover of staff within a team, uh, and therefore the turnover of specialized knowledge about the data. 
Um, and, and the other one is, of course, uh, since the data actually moves through these different stages in its, in its life, um, those stages are typically often siloed. They're, 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 you know, different people deal with the data at a, at a given point, which means that transmission of appropriate, uh, the possibility of the transmission of appropriate information between the stages, right? So useful information between stages can get lost. So that, that's, you know, the, the typical challenges that we face. Through, throughout the life cycle, but also silos from one functional area to another? Absolutely. So, and here's the thing, if we don't have the, and if, and if we don't adhere to the mantra of, you know, fair, findable, accessible, interoperable, reusable, then we get friction uh, when we're trying to find and reuse data. So as Misha alluded to, and this is, you know, the data is value. I mean, the, you know, the, 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 this is the value of what we do as a scientific institute is actually bound up in, intimately with our data. And if we have friction trying to find it and reuse it, um, then we, we can make mistakes. Uh, partly we can potential to make mistakes um, and potential to actually having delays in doing the silent, in doing our science. Um, and, you know, that's reflected in you know, umpteen anecdotes where people, you know, write emails trying to work out what that postdoc did last year kind of thing. But that's basically, that's the overall trend. So connecting that value of the data to the value of the organization, you know, what are some of the problems that manifest when data management is not where it needs to be? To add to what Vivek just said, uh, the one specific problem you see is the time lost. Yeah. So when, uh, you know, last year at a conference, um, a speaker from you know major pharma company said that it took them six person months to find a data set that they knew they had within the organization, just simply to locate it, uh, you know, identify it, clean it up, and make it ready for use. So that's you know six months of uh, productivity lost, uh, and you can you know directly calculate uh, how much it costs to produce that data, and then you know the six months of productivity loss. So what often happens is that because uh, businesses are under time pressure they will, in fact, just redo the, um, the experiment. So they will you know, take a, a loss on um, the cost of data production just uh, to save the time. So, so this will have you know, direct impact on you know, the balance sheet. It will have direct impact on you know, businesses achieving their goals. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is uh, this notion of uh, you know, opportunity cost. If you don't have your data in good shape, then you are missing opportunities that may be available to your uh, business. Uh, you're missing uh, opportunities that are available within your staff. You know, if people don't have a good data environment, they will go elsewhere. You're missing discoveries that you could have made. Uh, you are exposing yourself to additional risk uh, through data loss, and uh, uh, you are also impacting, uh, you know, broader. Uh, when you look at, you know, where your budget is spent. Pharma has a, a bigger carbon footprint than the automotive industry. So if you're repeating experiments that you don't need to, you're you know you're impacting on your budget. You're impacting on the climate. All of that, all of that makes sense. Um, I think that science, especially in a research institute like ours, tends to be uh, has a somewhat can can be done with a somewhat more elastic you know somewhat more elastic time frame. Um, so there's a bit more flexibility in terms of the time, but the delays are certainly present. I mean, it's self-evident when people have problems finding old data sets um, and it's very irritating for all concerned. So we're talking about, you know, so those are problems for the, the companies themselves, but, but how does data management impact our day-to-day you know, work lives as you know, either consumers or, or producers of work products? Great question. So sounding almost redundant here, we 
not only we, we, you know, we did a survey of, you know, what do you spend your time doing uh, when we asked data scientists across different range of organizations from, you know, academia to, you know, biotech startups to, you know, pharma, agri, uh, like, what do you spend your daytime doing? And they say, you know, 80% of my time, I'm either looking for data or I'm cleaning it up. Uh, and, you know, and these are highly paid, uh, you know, very specialized, uh, you know, individuals with mathematics PhDs or computer science PhDs who are trained in, you know, building exciting algorithms, machine learning models. And they're just, you know, you know data wrangling and tinker, tinkering with, you know, things that they don't need to be doing. So if you don't have a good system in place to enable people to find things in seconds rather than, you know, days, then you're just wasting valuable resources and uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it's it's a re- very real and, you know, daily impact. Well, I can say, though, that on the flip side of that, um, there is a certain amount of friction in actually doing data management well. I mean, we speak to, you know, the time wasted when you do it badly, but we should bear in mind that doing it well um, involves both an operational change in the way that labs do things. I mean, if it was easy, everybody doing it by now, that's the first thing. Um, and secondly, there's a cultural change as well, or a behavioral change, if you like, where people have to get used to new habits, um, which were not, are not self-evident, right? I mean, they need to be helped and, and you know, the friction has to be reduced, but it certainly exists. I mean, you know, when you make an analysis data set, you know, if you're going to record it and make sure that everybody knows that it's there, that, that means that that's something else that, that may take you a little while, even with help from engineers, and you have to get into the habit of realizing that that's important and everybody else has to get into the habit of realizing it's important so that if it doesn't get done, there's some pressure to actually get it done. It's a great point, Vivek. Have, have you seen organizations effectively make that transformation? There's, this, the, there's the kind of thing that we're trying to do or we're trying to achieve within human genetics at Sanger. Um, and, and I think that's necessarily quite ambitious to do with sort of cataloging analysis data sets. I mean, but the thing not to forget is that... Um, Many aspects of the organization at Sanger, because it's, you know, given what it does, um, are already organized and have, you know, ample metadata around the data that's being produced, typically upstream of me in the sequencing. Um, So, you know, there are existing information systems. They are clearly beneficial. I mean, life would be impossible without them. So I've seen different parts different parts of the organization make that transition by necessity at different times. The difference between the thing that what we're doing and why it's interesting is because we're trying to do it downstream, if you like, in, in the scientific area as opposed to upstream in the, in the operations area. Right. So how, how does GeneStack solve some of these issues? So as Vivek said, I think that the, you made a really good point that uh, data management in different parts of the scientific process uh, uh, faces somewhat different challenges. And the part where we tend to operate uh, is where the scientists are perhaps at their most free and creative when, you know, the experiment has been done, the data has been generated, and now you need to apply all your creativity to take that data and to make a discovery, right? And uh, uh, the data management infrastructure, you don't want to limit people too much, right? You want to enable them to be free. And so from our point of view, we want to try to make systems that are as unintrusive as possible, but at the same time, that simplify people's lives. So what we are trying to do is we're trying to create uh, a single point of truth uh, for all experimental and phenotypic data that a scientist can use uh, both via programmatic 
uh, interfaces and a graphical user interface. So we at GeneStack fundamentally are ourselves data scientists. You know, we started the company uh, coming out of, you know, doing bioinformatics. Uh, and uh, the things that are, you know, kind of boring requirements, if you will, of data management, like versioning and audit trail, we're trying to make that unintrusive and transparent. Uh, so that you know, if you are in a in an environment where you need to have these things for regulatory compliance, it's there for you, but it doesn't uh, get in the way. Mm-hmm. All right, great. So, Vivek, your experience with uh, GeneStack to to date? Sure. Um, so, I think I was drawn to the product because, exactly as Misha said, it actually facilitates and it's actually focused on the downstream analysis. It's the it's the it's the analysis either that we do downstream of the standard production at Sanger or the analysis potentially that the scientists will do after um, they, it comes out of our hands. So th- that was primarily the reason why I actually sort of, why I was int- intrigued by the product and, and why we actually s- implemented it. I think um, I, there's two things. I mean, th- what it's great with is that the model, it's the data model itself is relatively well. Okay, so the data model itself is the metadata, the, the, the way you can describe different studies, samples, and analysis data sets within the product are flexible. And, and they have to be, because there's just no way you can actually know what's going to come at you until it comes at you. Um, so that's actually good. It's heavily, you can approach it with machine interfaces. In other words, with the APIs are quite rich, and we've exploited those to write alternative interfaces onto the product, which is something that I've always, I, I thought was essential. And we've also written code against it to actually help users, uh, ourselves actually as users, upload data um, more effectively. So graphical tools to help them upload data. Um, so that's all very good. I think that um, um, we are at the process at the point now where we're, we are in a point now, in, in, a, in, a, in a stage now where we are loading, helping users load studies into the system. Um, and we're not done. Um, and the idea is to build a critical mass in that system um, and uh, to the point where the users, where the whole thing becomes sort of, if you like, self, self-sustaining, self the reaction becomes self-sustaining, and the behavioral change that I indicated before becomes much easier. I mean, it, it, it sort of completes, if you like. Um, so that's where we are. Um, and, I, and we're doing it basically study by study, you know, group by group. Um, and the good news is that the groups are engaging with us um, to actually help us, they, 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 you know, they have expectations now. They say, here's our data, help us work with it. That's the great news. The challenge is that every group will come to us with completely different ideas about and, and you know, start points with the data that they want us to load. So it's a, it's a data engineering problem. It's a, it's a different data engineering problem, engineering problem every time we approach it. Um, so you know, that, that is quite a challenge, and, and it's one that we're you know, aggressively dealing with, but it's definitely a challenge. I find it uh, incredible that you you find GeneStack valuable not only from a you know a technical and data management standpoint, but also something that helps facilitate change, not get in the way of change. It facilitates it. You have to anchor your uh, new practices. You want to anchor your new practices to something that actually guides you, and 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 the tool is opinionated at some level with its object model itself. So it's it's a concrete starting point for the change. Excellent. Uh, Misha, back over to you. Where do you see the data management space in five to 10 years? And you don't have to disclose your roadmap, but you know, any hints are, <laughs> would be oh, welcome. Sure. 
so 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 I think the uh, kind of the, the big uh, you know elephant that's been kind of stomping around our room for a number of years now is uh, the impact of uh, uh, AI and machine learning on you know how we deal with data, um, and uh, I think that anybody who deals with data management has to have that in mind. You know, how do I make uh, my data more readily available for machine learning algorithms? And uh, how is that going to develop? And uh, what we see, and you know, we're not alone in this, it's not, not a great secret, is that the data uh, you know, volumes are continuing to increase. Data is not as, I would say, you know, liquid as we would like it to be, not as movable, because we're you know, generating data in huge volumes. There are often restrictions about where you can move that data, so you might not be able to actually, you know, aggregate data the way you might want to. So we need to be thinking about data federation. We need to be thinking about how do we do analytics on, you know, well-harmonized data across distributed data sources, while at the same time, as far as the scientist is concerned, it's a uh, still sitting in a single managed point of truth. Uh, so I think that we're going to see more distributed, more federated systems. I think we're going to see systems where AI algorithms are more built in, where you know things like um, what kind of queries and analytics are available, where you know the data models they may evolve. There may be you know systems that suggest to you what kind of data models you need, what kind of queries and analytics are available. So I think that those are kind of important directions that we are keeping an eye on. So you mentioned the the importance of data management on the ability to do AI and ML. What about the application of AI and ML on data management itself? Is that something you've thought about? That's a great question. Yeah, like I say, I think in terms of organizing uh, appropriate, uh, you know, uh, data models or thinking about how data harmonization is done, a lot of that historically has been manual. But a lot of those things, like you know, identifying uh, appropriate mappings, deduplicating data identifying, you know, data correlations. A lot of those things can be uh, done with machine learning. So we're definitely looking at that. Great. And uh, Vivek, a couple things on your wish list. What would you love to see in uh, coming in, in terms of data management? Can I take a slightly more curmudgeonly note than, than Misha here? Um, when I look back on the last 10 years, um, the, you know, we, we've been, it's been, the, the change in data management from our side has been very slow, I would say. So we are trained to work incrementally. Um, and I would, and you know, at the risk of again sounding a bit more curmudgeonly, I'd like to actually have solid evidence. I, you know, we're trained to work incrementally and use data, no pun intended, from our previous increment to inform our next increment. Um, and I would like to see the behavioral changes that I've been alluding to roll out and be adopted. And I would be delighted if, in say, the next five years. The ambitions that I have in my horizon right now, which is effectively a comprehensive record of, of, of you know, and good, useful record of analysis data sets within the Institute, for instance, if that rolled out and was actually behaviorally adopted and was actually expected as opposed to being an exception, um, I would be absolutely delighted. And I think, you know, given the scale of the challenge, I think that a five-year horizon is actually realistic for that. Well, it sounds like you're, you're well on your way there, Vivek, so congratulations. I just want to thank Misha and Vivek for all your great insights on today's topic. And thank you to everyone who listened to our conversation. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head over to genestack.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series at EM360. Until then, uh, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. 
uh, follow the conversation on our socials at, uh, at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head over to EM360Tech.com. <laughs>